Welcome to DJ Grandpa's Crib, the podcast of Kickstarter, the crowdfunding website. Each week I interview real people with honest dreams. Today is Monday, November 18th, 2013. On this day in history, in 1883, American and Canadian railroad companies created four continental time zones. The idea was quickly accepted across the country, but it wasn't until 1918 that the United States government made it official. A Piggy's Tale is a comic book about a three-legged dog who happens to be a superhero. It's based on the real-life stories of this one special dog. Welcome to DJ Grandpa's Crib, Todd. Nice comic book you have there, Piggy's Tale, superhero dog in an all-ages comic book. The trike dog, three-legged dog. Yes. Based on a real story. Thank you. No, you told me based on a real story in the video. It's my dog, in fact. It's my tripod dog. Oh! So he inspires me every day. His real name is Piggy, and the drawings are all based on the real dog. And um, his superpowers, his, his power of being able to detect the suffering of others to find out who to save, that's based in real life, too. Out of a whole crowd of people, he right. singled out a single person in the crowd, and, and he goes up to them. And they all start crying as soon as they see him staring at them. And then they all pet him and say, how did you know I needed that? And uh, it turns out they've all suffered a personal tragedy, and my dog can tell. And so he knows who to go, who who to save, and, and how to give them what they need. Wow, so he's an empath? Yeah, he uh, can sense if you're uh, suffering, if you're in trouble, he'll go up to you and he'll give you compassion and he'll put a paw on you and he'll say that he'll be there for you. Did you train him or were these natural powers? Actually, his powers seem to have come from his journey. He suffered a lot as a puppy. He was hit by a bus when he was maybe only three or four months old and he was almost dead by the time I found him. So I named him Piggy because he didn't have any hair. So he just looked like a hairless piglet. He was covered in maggots. He was really suffering. And when we saved him, it seemed like his journey was so intense and so memorable to him that from that point on, he could tell when someone else was feeling the same things as he did. And he knows how bad that feels. So I don't think it was anything that I trained him or anything. It's something that his unique path had shown him and granted him as a gift. Now, everybody kind of prides themselves in America about these rescue dogs and stuff these days. But I still have to ask, why did you take a dog that was so severely injured? I mean, sometimes seeing an animal sick, man, it'll tear your heart out, man. How'd you deal with that? It tore me up inside. I had to do something about it. So I took him. And then when I took him in, I couldn't have been happier about my choice. This dog brings me so much happiness. Rescue dogs are so thankful. Rescue dogs are, I mean, there's nothing wrong with them. If you want a purebred dog or something like that, I mean, a rescue dog is going to be grateful. And a rescue dog is going to be so well-behaved because they know that you saved their life. And they are cognizant of that. They know how bad they could have had it. And they know how bad their circumstances were and what the alternative to you rescuing them is. And I just really wanted to show people that. And I wanted to show them 
I wanted to raise awareness of rescue animals in a way that could be exciting and adventurous and right. and uh, a way that would entertain others. And so that's why I made this uh, comic book. Does this mean that you're a nice guy or something? Like a do-gooder or something like that? I try. The video makes you look like the nicest guy in the world. Oh, thanks. Are you nice or, or do you just like go around pushing people, kicking people and you know, pushing your way in the world and stuff like that, or can I at least believe the video a little bit? Yeah, I, I try not to kick around people too much. So okay. You can believe that I am that person that's not kicking people in that video. Okay. All right. I, I just want to check, man. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to mis mislead people. And <laughs> All right, man. That's cool, man. That That is such a cool story. Okay, we talked about the dog in real life, but what about the mediated reality type of version of the dog? What does the the superhero dog do that maybe the real dog doesn't do? Well, the first thing he does that the real life piggy doesn't do is that he flies. I should have known that. I, that was a stupid question. But anyway, <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. He flies. I'm looking at the picture right now and he's flying and I'm like, what does he? Okay, go ahead, man. Go ahead. Well, it's sort of symbolic. The real Piggy, I mean, as I said, he was in such bad shape. But he worked so hard every day. It was so inspiring. This dog will never say die. He wanted to be able to get to people and get to others who needed his help. And so he worked through the pain. You could see him, the look in his face, the intensity of his experience. You could see him working through being so weak and being so fragile and building strength every day, forcing himself to walk a little bit further every day. His drive, his motivation to be this super dog made him overcome impossible odds. All the veterinarians said he was going to stay small, he was going to stay this tiny little dog because he was so malnutritioned um, in the first half of his life and he was in such rough shape. But he beat all the odds. He became this beautiful, full-grown dog that walked and runs now everywhere. He doesn't just walk, he runs everywhere because he's built up so much strength. And symbolically in the comic book, sort of representing the determination that he has to be able to overcome his issues and get to those in need, he flies. And so he flies through the night. In the comic book, he has trouble flying at first. You know, he's flying through the air, but he's falling a lot of the times. He has trouble controlling himself uh, in the middle of flight. And, you know, he crashes into garbage cans and things. But yeah. he overcomes all that because he wants to save those people. So he forces himself to learn to fly every day. So he runs into this street-smart cat, who's a, a brilliant street-smart cat. He actually uh, has constructed himself a little uh, garbage gun out of uh, trash that he finds. He's recycled this material into a garbage gun, and he shows Piggy how to stop evil and how to fight those who are victimizing others. And so Piggy learns from this cat, and he learns from his experience. And he takes the cat on his back, so they fly throughout the night, finding those in need, and the cat is taking out bad guys with his garbage gun. So that's the adventure, <laughs> okay. and uh, those are the powers that they have. <laughs> Garbage gun and a cat. <laughs> yeah, so he's actually like shooting uh, kitty litter and hairballs and other disgusting things at bad guys that make them run away. Is this a window shot I see on your on your Kickstarter page? With is that Piggy with the real cat looking out the window? That's the real Simon. Simon was our first patient from the Galapagos Islands for 
my animal hospital project down there, Darwin Animal Doctors. You're a doctor, uh, too? Well, I'm not a doctor myself, so okay. I run an animal hospital. I founded the only animal hospital in the Galapagos Islands, along with my um, partner in that, Andrea Gordon. She's also in the comic, too. You know how to keep it in the family, man. <laughs> Thank you. And um, our first patient was this little yellow cat that was, like, scrawny, and, and he was covered in parasites, and... When we rescued him, we brought him back to the U.S., and he and Piggy just became best friends immediately. They do all sorts of mischief together because <laughs> Simon's like a bad influence on him, but they nurture each other, and they sort of like encourage each other to learn from learn from their mistakes and, and learn to do even more amazing things that you wouldn't believe that they're capable of doing. From your story, I can't tell where reality and this whole mediated thing, this whole comic book thing separates, you know, besides the flying. Right. And the cat gun. Other than that, I can't tell which is real and which isn't. It it seems like it so mirrors each other, but I guess that doesn't make any sense because you wrote it so it should mirror each other. So, yeah, so it's not even like I'm giving you a compliment or anything, you know? <laughs> the most amazing part of these stories are their bases in reality and the lessons that you can learn from them. I try to make these adventures like really entertaining and action-packed and, you know, full of adventure. But the heart of them, the lessons that you can take are all grounded in reality and grounded in the lessons that you can learn from the eyes of a puppy and Mm -hmm. lessons that you learn from rescuing someone who's in need and and the feeling that that gives you. For anybody out there, go to kickstarter.com and check out A Piggy's Tale, a superhero dog in an all-ages comic book. And if you can't find it there, go to djgrandpa.com and we'll provide links. Todd, totally cool, man. And tell everybody on your team that DJ Grandpa's pulling for him, man. Really like it. Thank you so much, DJ Grandpa. I worked at LucasArts for six years previously as a designer and worked on projects such as Star Wars 1313, Star Wars The Old Republic, and The Force Unleashed 2. I had been working at LucasArts for about 10 years uh, before it closed. I started working on Indiana Jones and the Emperor's Tomb. I worked on Star Wars Galaxies, uh, Old Republic, and then Star Wars First Assault. So after LucasArts closed, we started using Unity to build the bare bones of what would eventually become Super Roman Conquest. So how you guys doing at Sea Cliff Interactive, man? Doing good, man. Thanks for asking. We're uh, out here in San Francisco. Your game, man. Yeah. I thought it was funny, a couple things. I thought it was funny that you're not just Roman conquest. It's super Roman conquest. That's right. You had to separate yourself from the pact, and I see you um, have, um, what, what, siege weapons. Siege weapons, like, uh, you know, like catapults and like ballistas, which are basically big bows and arrows in a way, or big crossbows. And everything has fire on the tip of it or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the Romans were famous for their engineering feats and being able to construct these just colossal machines that like no one had even seen before, you know? Like, you're just hanging out in your village and they're wheeling up this thing that just chucks basically fireballs. You know, and we definitely wanted to have that come through in the game that you'd be able to harness the ingenuity of some of the Roman engineering. Yeah, I hadn't seen that before. I'm sure it's probably, I'm sure you guys have seen it everywhere, but, you know, everything's still kind of new for me. So it's it's like way cool to see it in your game. You got the whole 3D levels and all that. I don't know how you would 
can possibly control all those levels at the same time. Maybe you skip around or something. That's one of the kind of the skills, you know, we think we're going to ask of players as they play the game. You know, it's going to be like, you know, what sometimes they call kind of a plate spinning game. You know, how can you keep all these different balls up in the air, you know, like a juggler? See, that's another thing about your industry, man. You guys have all this vernacular, you know. <laughs> that is true. And man. after I learn a few words and, you know, I think I can sound a little educated like doing an interview, you guys pull out like a whole plate of new vernacular. And I'm like, where did these cats get this? It's like <laughs> endless with you guys. Yeah. Who makes this stuff up, man? I honestly think that to myself sometimes, you know. when you, If you look at like, like film, you know, that's a medium that's been right. around for like a hundred years, you know, over a hundred years. So they have all their terms kind of spelled out. So games are so new, you know, we don't, we're still working on like a universal language for how to describe what occurs in a game. You know, we're starting to agree upon, you know, like this is a platforming type of game. This is a puzzle game. This is a shooter. But still, like to get deeper into it on the same level that people do with films, people have to come up with these brand new terms and then somehow get some sort of consensus throughout the community. You know, that's one of the more frustrating parts, because even though there's like all these crazy terms, it's like everyone's got their own crazy terms for things, you know? If I were like creative and I were in the gaming industry, I could just sit back and make up some of the craziest terms <laughs> for whatever. And if they were cool enough or funny enough, people would just automatically go with them. Yeah, I'll give you a hint, dude. What you want to do is you want to come up with those terms and then you go to what the Game Developers Conference, which is GDC. Right. Every year in San Francisco, they have it. And you go there and you give a speech on this new term. And that's how most of them come about. You know, they're like, I'm going to talk for an hour about this new term that I've come up with to describe X. Or I could be very shrewd or sneaky and set myself up as the DJ grandpa game regulatory body. And no one could like get a term approved unless I put my stamp on it of approval. You sit on top of the pile, man. That's the way to do it. What is Super Roman Conquest? If I don't know, if I can't figure it out, what is Super Roman Conquest about? It's a what we call a side-scrolling strategy game. So there's somewhat games that are kind of like this or kind of touch upon the type of game it is where a side-scroller means like you move the player from left to right, basically. Like think of like Mario Brothers, right? Right. But what's special about Super Roman Conquest is that we're adding in these special you know, these layers, what we call them. We call them battle lanes, actually. So you can move within the 3D landscape. And most other games that try to do these side-scrolling strategy games just have one path, you know, which don't really allow much strategy at all. So we really worked hard to create something that would give players a fun, meaningful experience, but also, you know, is paying homage to the games that we love playing from the past, man, from the early 90s. So there's some of that, some of the old games that we used to love in there. I guess I could have figured some of that out because I see the pixelated graphics and everybody's going for it. Me and my business partner, Tim, like we are game designers and programmers, basically not an artist bone in our body. So uh, we just made all those art just to be representative of what we want of the final game, you know, but if our Kickstarter is successful, uh, I just want to emphasize that we're going to hire a real artist to make it look much better than it looks now because you know we have gotten some feedback where people are like well i'm not so sure about the look of this you know 
but <laughs> to be polite, you know, to to uh, to summarize, transparency is always yeah, best. Exactly, man. So you know, we're gonna try to make it look much better, but still, we want to keep it with that pixel look, that cool old school kind of feel. Is there anything that I haven't let you say that you gotta get out there? Something. Tim and I, since LucasArts closed earlier this year, Tim and I have been working on Super Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me ask you that. that that's a very important yeah. question because you guys mentioned LucasArts a lot in your video. And, you know, they're, they're like world-renowned. It's like George Lucas made the, one of the smartest deals in the movie industry ever when totally. he got the merchandising rights for Star yeah. Wars. That's literally billions of dollars he made on that. You know? Right. Did you ever see the guy or he breezed past you or something? No, totally. I mean, he would come in to the buildings where we worked at in the Presidio here in San Francisco probably once a month. Right. You know, not every time you would see him when he's rolling around, you know, but he would be there, you know, and sometimes you'd like stand next to him in the burrito line, you know, and you'd be like ordering your burrito. And then right next to you would be George Lucas, you know, and it would be kind of a trip, man. I, I can't tell you that I ever really got normal about it. Yeah, I wondered about that because it's like, did he just come in and like every time you saw him, he fired a guy? He was never big dogging anyone. No, for sure. He didn't have to, you know. Yeah. Whenever he would come, obviously, it would be a huge deal, you know, so it would be a very controlled. He was there for a purpose and many different people were making sure that he wasn't just like roaming the halls by himself, you know, it was very focused. Like Tim worked at Lucas for over 10 years, you know, and I worked wow. there for over six. Yeah, we talk about it a lot because it's definitely very formative in our game design and career experiences, all Lucas. So it definitely has opened a few doors, you know, for us. And right. it's nice we were able to get a really good amount of press. Yeah, we got a lot of websites and I do credit Lucas for that, you know. And what's your partner's name, Matt? Tim. All right, I don't want to leave Tim out because a lot of times when there are projects with, with a team on it, especially a small team, I forget to thank the second person on the team. I kind of like lummock them off as though they, they get no credit and they don't exist. But this time I'm trying not to be rude. So I want to thank Tim and Matt. And I like to say check out their game on Kickstarter, Super Roman Conquest, a 3D side-scrolling strategy game. And I think they made up the, the part about the 3D, not the 3D, but the side-scrolling strategy game, which is not easy to say. And if you can't find Super Roman Conquest there, always go to djgrandpa.com where you'll find links. Dude, this has been the coolest conversation. Thank you very much. No, thank you for having me, man. I'm glad to talk. It was very chill, and uh, thanks for having us. Hi, my name is Lance Hill, and this is Isaac. Say hi. Hi. And this is Kings of Israel. Kings of Israel is a cooperative board game that takes place during the reign of kings in the northern kingdom of Israel. Each player controls a prophet whose goal is to remove evil and idols from the nation while building enough altars to win the game. Hello, how's it going there, Lance? Thanks for having me. Oh, no problem, man. Good to have you aboard on the crib. Yep. You know, that game of yours, man, it seems basic, kind of elementary, you know? It's what we would call a gateway game. It's um, a game that can be played by people that don't normally play board games. And so it 
keeps a lot of things simple, but still fun. In gaming, you guys just never, you, you guys never stop with the terms. Always a new <laughs> term every week, every week. Well, we are nerds, so we got to name them something. It seems like it took you a long time to put this game together, though. You have to test a game a lot of times before you get something that's playable. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of me just laying a board on a table and playing it by myself and then realizing that change I made was terrible. And I got to do it all over again. Now, can you guarantee me, because I'm, I'm starting to ask this of games, <laughs> and it all may right. not be fair, but I'm asking all of them. All right. You know, all I really care about is this game any fun. I want you to guarantee me that this game is fun. I need to know this. All right, I'm going to guarantee right here. You can you can quote me that Kings of Israel is fun. It feels like your word has to stand for something on Kickstarter, man. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> yes. You can bank on it. And it's a great title, man, Kings of Israel. Thank you. I'm surprised you got that. It was still left. I tried to think of a title that, well, with a theme, I could see it being off-put with, to a lot of people, so I was thinking of ways to make the title seem strong. Right. Kings of Israel felt strong. It felt like a game that you're like, oh, well, what exactly is it about? The title that you chose is what I call Instant Atmosphere. It seems as though as soon as you say the title, you know what the game must be about. Yeah. 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 The title gives you information before you even touch a piece of the game, in my opinion. Yeah. I think that's Marketing 101. I think, you know, at its simplest, at its best. Thank you. So it's like I have nothing but compliments for you, and I've never even met you before. That is a weird feeling. You got to keep them going. Okay. I got one complaint. All right. All right. Let's hear it. You got like the kid on on the knee again. <laughs> like you pinch the kid to say hello, and then he shuts up. And then at the end, you pinch him again to say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> that is partially valid. It wasn't pinching. It was, it was kind of nudging. Okay. Because, well... I was trying to do the video, and I discovered that if I have a camera staring at me, I cannot say words out of my mouth. And oh. I tried it many times, and I'd be like, no, okay, start over, start over. But then I thought, if I had my son Isaac here, put my arm around him, you know, it might be a calming effect. And it was, except I got him just after he went out playing, and he was tired. Right. I saw the sleepy caption. Yeah, that yeah, was, yeah, that was yeah. cool. He, he, his eyes are starting to wander and stuff like that. But he really wanted to do it still. So I did it, and I'll admit I nudged him a little bit towards the appropriate times. I'm guilty on that one. We would be remiss if we didn't talk about how do you play the game or what the game is actually about. Because we may have talked all around that, and people may not have an actual feel. Yeah, uh, Kings of Israel takes place in ancient Israel. And uh, each player is a prophet or a line of prophets. And basically, they're going around trying to remove evil while um, building these altars that are needed to win the game. It's very thematic based on um, Old Testament. And so on your turn, you got four actions or four things you can do, and you got a selection of actions. And um, in each turn, before you get those actions, some good or bad might happen, and then a wave of evil comes. And you've got to react to that evil. Now, when you say Old Testament, I get mixed up sometimes. I mean, I read the Bible, mm -hmm. you know, mainly when I was a kid. So, you sure, know, that might sure. not be cool to some people. But um, 
Old Testament. Is that fire and brimstone type to Charleston Heston type? Or is, <laughs> was that the more sedate, you know, things happen, Jesus does, you know, X, Y, Z, Israelites, stuff like that? I think it's more commonly known as the more fire and brimstone type. Oh, okay. But I mean, there's there's a lot of good things too. It's just we remember the Sodom and Gomorrahs and, and things like that. And actually, fire and brimstone is in the game, so I guess that's appropriate. I believe in the video you said um, you had a lot of time on your hands. You were doing more of the Mr. Mom thing, the the you know the dad at home type of thing. So you needed something to do. I needed something mentally to do. Oh, I'm all over the place physically, but mentally, there's only so many times you can read a book or something like that before you, your mind wanders a little bit. Right. Before this, I was a IT guy basically, and so I had things to keep my mind going. Now, how many years in the making? Because I know we said this is a long time, the game. A little under three years. I, I think the Kickstarter concept sort of fuels you creatively and seeing so much support for what's something you've done. Oh, yeah, man. I read your comment section. You got a lot of nice people on your comment section, man. <laughs> I do. I'm surprised. I mean, I think I've got something that they've been wanting for a while that just hasn't been coming out a, a solid game of this type. Man, I wish I could get a, a negative word in, man, but I just can't. <laughs> I, I'm good with that. <laughs> I'm good with that. You have great timing, too, man. It's like I say one thing and you're right on it, man. You you do, you do need things to think about and to work on mentally, man. I could tell that. You're right, I think. I think you're <laughs> right. All right, man. Well, I wish you the best and I wish your son there. What's his name again? That one is Isaac, and I've got Jonas and Johanna. Oh, okay. All biblical names. Yeah, well, Jonas is variant of Jonah. And yeah. Yeah, I think Johanna's, uh, there's some New Testament in that one. But I'm totally happy for you and your fam. Hold up. Wife doing okay? Oh, yeah. I don't want her to feel left out. She's an aerospace engineer, and she does the kind of stuff that she likes doing. So. Does she like your game, or does she just kind of, um, or does she just kind of like, placate you a little bit you know oh that's nice dear no no she's she likes the game and when it's game night she a lot of times she'll like can we play kings of israel i'm like i've been working on it all day can try something else and then she is very supportive is she ruthless with the game like you know it's like it is never it's not supposed to be played with that type of sentiment and you're t trying to tell her but she's just caught so caught up in the game that she's just being ruthless and she's like you know, I mean, set my people free, let my people go, and, and she's just totally just overdoing it, man. Well, we're we're on a team, so it's it's good if she's enthusiastic about what she's doing. Okay. So right. when when we do lose, though, she's ah, uh, she she feels it. She she's feels knocking it. over pillars and stuff like that. <laughs> exactly. Oh yes. man, she has a competitive spirit, man. I got <laughs> you, man. Yep. <laughs> All right, well, tell her that I said hello. Well, okay, we'll do. Thank yeah, and, and the sleepy children and all of that. And for anyone out there on Kickstarter, I think this is a very cool game. I checked out the video. It has a different vibe than, than most games that I've seen on, on Kickstarter. And, that, and that's why I wanted to share it with people. It's called Kings of Israel. It's on Kickstarter. If you can't find it there, always go to djgrandpa.com where we will post links for all interviews that we do. Lance. Lance, yep. Lance. 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 Yeah. Okay, cool. 
thank you very much for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day, man. Thank you so much. I'm not Superman, I can't fly. I do my best, man, just to get by. And I'm not Superman, I'm just me. A regular show in my galaxy. Kaboom goes a fantasy every time I stumble. Time to take the lead. But then the frequencies gel, and once again I'm humble. No Nicholas Barry. Nicholas Barry. On Kickstarter. Soul singer. Blues and soul, really. Those are my biggest influences, you know. Who are you or were you influenced by? My favorite songwriter is this cat named John Martin. He's a Scottish songwriter who died about four years ago who influenced Hendrix and Clapton and the list goes on and on. He was a kind of one of these guys that was way ahead of his time and a lot of musicians know him, especially European musicians, but not a lot of the public knows him. He had a record that came out in 71 called Solid Air. He was a totally unique percussive guitar player and incredible soulful singer, and his songs were just sort of simple, but very poetic and poignant, and I'm very influenced by him. I said, I don't know what's going on in your mind, but I can tell you that it's hard to hide when you're living on solid, solid air, living on solid air. I'm influenced heavily by, you know, Al Green and Muddy Waters, Bob Bland and Otis Rush. You know, it's just a whole bunch of folks that are important in the makeup of, uh, of you know, Chicago blues and soul music. Curtis Mayfield. I'm influenced by a lot, actually a lot of Chicago, sort of almost via Mississippi artists, you know, people that came up from Mississippi. I love Delta blues. I love Chicago blues. I love... You're going all over the place, sort of kind of. Not yeah. really. Uh, not really, but you got a lot of influences. Yeah. A lot of influences. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. That's cool, man. I listen to everything, so that's totally cool with me. I love and, Willie Nelson, man. Willie Nelson's a big influence. Well, I love Willie Nelson, man. He always yeah. has the young chick all the time. Man. <laughs> exactly. Now, what brings you to Kickstarter? One of my best friends, Brad Taylor, we decided we wanted to do a real... We're thinking about my lyrics and about my fan base and stuff and it being a real... I write about very personal, therapeutic stuff. People who love my music say that I save their lives or I've changed their lives or they've enhanced their, their lives in some way. And so that sort of brought us to this place of maybe getting people involved and in putting a record in. And um, sort of the idea of it takes a village and we're just living in that time now, I think. You know, we heard of Kickstarter and we heard of Pinduoduo and Kickstarter seems sort of be, to be the place that had I just love the way it looked, the format of it. I liked it, and it seemed to have a really good reputation. And well, have you gotten any interesting emails or calls while you've been on Kickstarter? You know, it seems to open doors for people sometimes out here. What I'm surprised about is that of probably only half of the people so far that have donated money that, that I know. So that's kind of interesting. I don't know, which I think is a good thing. That means I'm building a, reaching out to people on via Facebook and Twitter and all the other avenues. And uh, because I'm a painter and because I do guitars like this, you know, that are, I don't know if you can see that, but. That is cool, man. A Sharpie paint pen, kind of, I call it uh, acoustic tattoos or a guitar, you know, um, putting guitars on and, and uh, I do kind of tables and chairs and, you know, right. very sort of, uh, you know, stuff like that. So that seems to be appealing to people on top of you know, the music thing, so. Are you offering that on as one of your Kickstarter rewards? Absolutely, and also 
you know, four by five paintings, three by four, uh, commissioned paintings. Yeah, people love that sort of stuff. They love when artists give of themselves, you know, something personal and stuff. You know, I do impersonation, so I'll put a, a boy, you know, I'll do uh, Christopher Walken, you know, on your phone, whatever. So don't complain too much. Don't smother all the love. No, no, Because you might cost your chance. kind of all over the place, too. <laughs> I do a lot of stuff. If I'm not asking the right type of questions, what would you like to tell me about yourself? I think I'm an unusual person and incredibly prolific in terms of art and creativity. I'm either painting all the time, writing songs. I make my living playing music and singing, and I'm always doing something either visual or something orally, you know, whether it's, like I said, I write poetry, I'm writing songs, I'm performing and kind of on this path of self-discovery and enlightenment. And I think my songs and so forth, I've uh, done a lot of therapy, so I, my songs are, are definitely about, uh, you know, the journey, you know what I'm saying? We haven't really spoken about your music, like how you view it, what it is, things of that nature. I feel like my music is strongly connected to the past and is classic in nature and it's organic. And, and I, I'd say, but I also think that I'm kind of doing something that might be an extension of some of my heroes. Like I said, you know, people like Cat Stevens and John Martin and Al Green and Muddy Waters and Joni Mitchell and sort of the folk soul and blues people. But I feel like I'm, especially when I play solo, because I sort of try to, I think I try to sound like a whole band. So I beatbox, I, I'm very percussive in my, uh, in my guitar playing. And so I think I'm sort of like a pretty much, pretty much a unique, one of a kind soloist, especially. But, um, you know, the combination of like soul and blues and then the lyric content, which is coming more from, like I said, poetry and almost revealing sort of self-discovery kind of lyrics, but hopefully in a poetic way and not in a way that pushes people away, but pulls people in, you know? You know, my thing is, my music is, most people tell me that I'm the blackest white guy they've ever heard. Right. <laughs> people will say blue-eyed soul, which I don't really like the whole blue-eyed soul thing. I just think of it as soul. But without question, I'm in, you know, my influences are vocally are, are for the most part, you know, coming out of the blues and soul music and those folks. So I call them my musical parents, I guess, you know. We've had the blue-eyed soul thing for like probably, what, at least 60 years or so. So Yeah, it's not new. It's right. Not new. So maybe we can evolve past that. I don't know. It'd be nice if we could evolve past that. I mean, that's because I live in Chicago and I play, you know, when I started, I was a street musician. I started and I formed a thing called the Coalition for the Advancement of Street Art that fought the city who was trying to get rid of street music. And we won. And, you know, I used to play at all the black stops and I would bring down to this, I'd bring down a new song every day, whether it was a Temptations tune or Curtis Mayfield or Al Green or Bill Withers or, you know, whomever. And, and I learned to sing by being in those in that environment, almost like a church environment. And I never looked at, at how do I say this? I never, uh, I don't necessarily look at race. And yet I know that's crucial and important, but it's to me, it's more about connection and, and extension of really, like I said, my musical parents are those people, you know, literally. Huh. I was going to say, were you raised by black people in any sort of way or na mixed neighborhood, you know, like a lot of African-Americans in the neighborhood? No. My parents are artists and they're super liberal, incredibly liberal. They grew up with uh, 
I mean, their record collection was all pretty much black artists. And so for some reason, my mother, who grew up very poor, I actually, so there's the reason, was very much in touch with, I guess, with being poor and the blues and sort of coming from that kind of place and, and influenced and loving that kind of music. You feel like that's where you got your soul. That's where it came from, because I grew up in a very white town and I always felt very uncomfortable and didn't like, I didn't like the wasp suppression. I didn't like the white world, so to speak, right. uh, at all. And I still don't. And I hate that kind of, I hate segregation. And so I even have, I even have a word, are you integratious? <laughs> are you integratious? You know? <laughs> integratious. Integratious, you know, because I mean, I just feel like that's the biggest problem in the world, frankly, you know, segregation. So I try to integrate, I think, and do without even trying, actually, these kind of different musics. And even country, like you were saying earlier, that you like country. I mean, I listen. I just love soul and feeling and people that are different or unusual or mix things in kind of an innovative way. But then, you, you know, you realize that people are, like you said, it's um, love and fear of love runs everything. That's it. Yeah, I remember that. That's kind of like one of those parables. <laughs> yeah. I always say that because I used to think it was hate, but it's actually love and fear of love that kind of runs everything. I mean, it really, if you think about it, it's like... You can put it into religion. You can. Put, it's, it's the same thing. It's just either you love or you have a fear of love. I think. I think you know? I saw that on Oprah one time. She said that, or someone in our audience. She probably yes. <laughs> Chicago, the center of America, man, the heart, the heartland. Right, I got you. Poetry and prose and Martha. All I had was you, and all you had was me. There was no tomorrow Packed away our sorrows And we saved them for a rainy day That probably sums up everything you're talking about, I guess. The love and, and the fear of love, I guess. That sounds total like an artist, so that's cool, man. You know, I've really started to own the thing about being an artist and about our place in the world and in this country and being the voice for people and the don't, so to speak. And like even this Kickstarter campaign, it's reaching out to people to be part of something because they want to hear my message and help get the message out and be part of that. And I think that's, I hope that's what, you know, what it is and what I want to promote, I suppose, you know, that I'm sort of the voice for people that maybe don't have a voice or, you know, because it takes courage. And I'm not always courageous, of course, but in this way, I'm, I'm feel courageous, you know, as an artist. No, I understand. I understand. Well, part of art is being courageous if you're going to do it right, if you're going to do anything new or slightly original. You know, if you're yeah. going to stand out, you have to take chances. I think I talk to my family at times and I say that I dare to walk out on that shaky limb every time. And I know it's shaky, <laughs> but I still walk out on it. You know, I, I can't help myself. You have to. I call it the song that I have on the CD. My Probably my favorite song on the new CD is called Before the Fat Lady Sings. And it's about, I was a street musician, like I said earlier, and about being in the subway. And that's how I started in the tubes in London and then in, in Chicago in the, in the L and having to play music. And I didn't care. I, I went to school for music, but I hated it. And it was really like intellectual and it wasn't about you know, the raw immediacy, you know, that, that happens when you play in front of people. And so I went down to the subway and, and on the street, and that's how I learned to sing. And 
So that song is sort of talking about that. The first line is, I was struck with my affliction at a very early age, my affliction of you know music and expression, which has to come out. For anyone out there on Kickstarter, if you like soul music, or maybe you're not on Kickstarter and you want to learn about it, go to kickstarter.com and type in Nicholas Barron. That's B-A-R-R-O-N. And if you can't find it there, go to djgrandpa.com where we always have the freshest links. And I always like to say, or at least I say from time to time, DJ Grandpa is the world's biggest music fan, bar none. So check Nicholas out. Nicholas, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on the show, my man. I appreciate it. Come on, baby. Sometimes love's hard. Don't always sign up for knowing it from the start. them every day. We write them down without thinking, without ever realizing that in another world, they hold true, unending How's it going, Jonathan? Hey, how you doing? Now, how do you pronounce the name of your game again? Well, it rhymes with lexicon, so it's Apexicon. Are you out of North Carolina? We're from Burlington, North Carolina. Welcome to DJ Grandpa's Crib. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm having a problem with your game. Okay. The problem is, I really don't understand what is it. <laughs> it seems interesting, but I just can't understand what is it. Basically, like if you played, a, you know, like Scrabble or Boggle or any of those games where you have right. to make words with letters on a board, it's actually very similar to that. We give you a board full of letters. It's a five by five square, and basically you'll have enemies that you'll come up against. So, so say like through the story, you'll have like a variety of you know fantasy themed type enemies, and sometimes they'll be a little bit wacky too. But uh, say for example, you'll come up against like goblins or whatever, you know, stuff like right. you might see to like Lord of the Rings. Or something like that. And basically, you'll have your board in front of you. And as long as you make a word that is real, and then click the attack button, you'll deal damage to that enemy. And then they'll do damage to you back. And it's basically a turn-based combat system right there. And the biggest thing about it is that your entire vocabulary that you know, as long as you see that word on the board, it is viable to use to, to deal damage with. Uh, you said... Words that are viable, and you have possibly combat with unsightly creatures, goblins, and, you know, zombies, or whatever. Does your vocabulary have to be a weapon, you know, like, like laser or sword or something, you know, to do combat against or inflict damage upon that goblin? Oh, no. Any word that you can come up with will work. And... Depending on the enemies, uh, for example, we have a uh, like a, a tough armored enemy. He won't take damage from you if you use like really small words such as like as or the or even like man. He'll just resist that damage. So you'll need to make longer words. Uh, you'll have to look for you say like if you if you looked for a word that was like run, you could uh, if you see the word running on there, you make that word instead. You're gonna actually be able to do damage to him. Okay, so the smarter words you make, the more syllable of the words you make, the more damage you can inflict on your opponent. Exactly. So it pays to be smart. <laughs> now, what if you're kind of slow, though? You know, and, and I don't mean that, well, I guess if you're slow, I guess. Well, anyway, I, I, I'm trying to say that. <laughs> <laughs> what if I'm you don't have as big a vocab vocabulary? Right. right. I mean, I don't 
traditionally do well with um I don't think I do well with word games. So if I don't do well, do I stand a chance at all? Or do I just have to study more? <laughs> well, actually, you, you do actually stand a chance. main feature of the game is that you pick a class. And they're all like really like tongue-in-cheek names for, for various things. Like, for example, the one we have for our demo soon will be the wordsmith. And then we have one that's just straight up called the plagiarist, you know. Oh, I like that. <laughs> and these classes, uh, they have abilities that let you deal extra damage so you can get through those uh, tough enemies that maybe you, you don't have the very large vocabulary to just do regular damage with. So you right. can augment your skills that way, and that way it helps the people who don't have that many abilities to do that. Is this like a bell curve or something like that? You know, like you're, you're trying to level the playing field or something. We're back in college or something like that. Uh, well, it's to help the people that potentially don't have... You don't know, like, you know, disestablishmentarianism, you know, and, right, and stuff right. like that. You know, so, you know, if they want to just put in the word jump and they, they want to use the abilities on their class to help them out, then, you know, they, they got it. Okay. I'm thinking puzzle based. I'm thinking words. I'm thinking vocabulary. Is this educational in any sort of way? Like, like if you, you know, like many people are handing their children digital devices via phone, iPad, whatever. Is there an educational aspect to this um, combat game puzzle? Well, one of the features that we're planning on for release is actually a multiple language mode. And right. when you switch to that mode, say, for example, if you want to switch to French or you want to switch to Spanish, you can turn that on. And what it will actually do when you put in words, it will tell you what the word means in English or your choice of language. Okay. And then that way you can use that as a learning tool to see like, oh, that's what that word means, you know, in Spanish. And then I can put that in. And now I know what that word means. And I can tell my friends about it, like, hey, I know what this word means, you know, and stuff like that. So, All right. You put some thought into this. I say, I say you put some thought into it. I like that, man. I don't like green eggs and ham. I, I don't like green eggs and ham, but I. But this is cool, man. This is cool. A Pexicon, like Lexicon, fantasy puzzle game on Kickstarter. And if you can't find it there, a Pexicon. Go to djgrandpa.com and we'll provide links for Jonathan and his team. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you very much. Bullet Bros is kind of a throwback to some of the classic games like Contra and Super Mario 3, even Blaster Master with the vehicle element. It's uh, primarily influenced by Contra, but I just, uh, that difficulty and sense of accomplishment with those Hello? games is so much greater than today. You know, How's it going, Jason? Oh, it's going all right? Yeah, man, Bullet Bros, man. I'm going to tell you off the bat, man. That is some hilarious violence there, and those two words should not go together. Yeah, I know. But I looked at your video, and oh, man, that looks like some fun in the making, man. Uh, I appreciate that. That's that's like the perfect compliment for the game. When people are playing it, or if they're just watching it play, and if they're just if they're cracking up and laughing, that's like ideal, you know. Really makes me happy. <laughs> So I appreciate it. My 10-year-old daughter and I know she shouldn't, you know, it, it's not gratuitous violence, you know, because I mentioned, like, my 10-year-old daughter. So I don't, uh -huh. I, you know, it's not like totally murder, death, kill, blood and guts everywhere, but it, it's like the shoot 'em up type of, you know, if I can classify it, it's like this, uh, it's almost like a throw, it's a throwback to me to, like, Super Mario Brothers and this, that, that whole type of generation. 
and it's that type of graphics almost and my daughter and I watched it and she was like this is violent but I was like but it's hilarious I was like oh my god and so we were laughing you know she wanted to make sure it was okay with me you know that she could yeah. laugh but I was like oh yeah 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 just don't tell your mom just don't tell your mom <laughs> yeah. and so it was totally cool and you said in the video that you you're not the world's greatest programmer the world's greatest coder and you said there were some mechanical mistakes in there helicopters flying upside down crashing into the ground crashing it, and you left that in there but that stuff was hilarious man it was ingenious I was like he let that was a mistake <laughs> <laughs> like 10 years ago I used to program flash games and everything right. and for me that was such an awesome period in the career because jumping back and forth between doing art production and programming was so much variety in the right. day that after doing just straight art production for 10 years at ArenaNet, and I look back with really fond memories of that period. So now, in this last year, I, I started trying to get into programming again, and then I just immediately got sucked back into that world, and that's when uh, Bullet Bros was born. And it's really weird because, like, coming from such a extensive art background, like, I just grew up drawing my whole life, and as a kid, I would just draw out Super Mario Brothers levels on graph paper, you know, and that was the most fun for me. So I, I guess I've always like wanted to design and program games, but right. I just kind of went down the art track really heavy at first. So I'm excited to, to really be doing what I love now. So did you actually draw some of the images that are in the game? You like the war machine type of things and the crazy odd helicopters and the doom buggy-ish type stuff? So far I've done everything in the game except for the music. So yeah, like I said, I've just mostly done the art production side of things for my career. Right. And now I get to kind of combine both interests and it's, it's been really fun. Well, how long has it taken you to get this far with the game Bullet Brothers? I've been doing a lot of like concept art and pre-production for the last couple years, but I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do with it. I was just developing kind of a personal project. And then once I started getting into programming a year ago, it was seemed like a perfect fit. And the timing was interesting because my nephew came up to visit me and stay with me for a couple weeks. And right. he was interested in getting into the art side of video games. And I pulled out all my old Nintendo games and almost gave him like a history lesson on the fly. <laughs> we were playing through all of them and some of them weren't holding up. Like I was like, oh yeah, just trust me, this used to be fun. <laughs> but yeah, you know, cause some of those are just so hardcore nowadays. Right. But the, the ones that he actually liked a lot were still the Contra games. And I think it's a lot of that's the co-op experience. You're sitting on a couch and you're relaxed in front of your TV with a friend, you know? So we got totally obsessed with Contra 3 for Super Nintendo. So every morning before I would like take him down to the school and show him about art, we try to beat the game. So that stuck with me. I was like, oh man, that game still holds up, like that formula. And if I could if I could just kind of add a really almost like concept art style to the background and really focus on the physics and vehicle linking stuff that you couldn't really do back in the day with those game engines, you know? So just taking some of the modern game elements and capabilities and trying to mix the two together. Let's go back to these mistakes you made, these glitches you made in the game. Oh, right. You know people don't really appreciate that. You know, you're leaving <laughs> mistakes and glitches, but somehow it worked for you. So, I mean, 
Yeah. Most people are too insecure to even leave the glitches in there. So how did you get the guts to be able to leave the glitches in there? Those started coming in because taking an old school kind of game style and then you start putting physics in there. And there's so many variables that, that happen that it's not the exact same style of programming, you know? Right, right. Whereas like... Like back in the day, not to say. Yeah, it's really real linear, like depending on a certain variable, they'll move in a straight line. But now with the physics, it's all the weighting of the vehicles and everything taken into account. And if, if you shoot something and it throws it kind of in a spin, then it might, like I said, flip upside down and that right. stuff's not coded. It's all side effect of how dynamic the experience is. When stuff like that happens, I've exploded like a vehicle and like a piece of it flies out and kills you. And, it, you know, <laughs> yeah. and it's totally random just depending on the circumstances at the time. Another big part of that is some of my fondest memories of playing games. Right. When I was back at ArenaNet at lunchtime, we played this game called Desert Combat, which is kind of a mod for a battlefield game. Right. And it was just a group of kind of indie gamers that put this mod out there and it was really rough around the edges, but it was so fun because you could like stand on the wing of a biplane and just shoot rockets off of people and just right. anything went in that game. And every time after we played like during lunch, we'd all get together and just talk about the most ridiculous things that happened. It wasn't, we weren't talking about how realistic certain things were, you know, it was always the wacky stuff that stood out. I think that's kind of where the seed was planted, like in my mind. I mean, that was years ago, and I've always wanted to kind of make a game that emphasized that. In a way, it sounds like you didn't grow up, dude. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> Somehow I've managed not to grow up. You know, you can draw a paycheck, but no, nah, you didn't grow up, man. I'm always curious when I see, like, a real straight-laced businessman on the street, and I'm like, what? when did they decide they just want to, you know, be like that, <laughs> like totally, like, serious and everything? I share that, man. I have a problem with reality, man, you know. Yeah. I haven't said that on this program, but yeah, DJ Grandpa has a serious problem with reality, man. So I've never grown up in some ways also. And I guess that's why I laugh at your game and I'm like, dude, this is totally cool. And I tell, you know, I tap my daughter on the shoulder and say, don't, don't tell your mom, though. <laughs> when I was editing that video, I had a portion in there where I was talking about if Bullet Bros offends people and trying to be upfront about that. And uh, a lot of friends suggested people know it's in good, you know, a good mindset about it. You're not trying to be malicious or gratuitous. It's just fun. So we ended up editing that out just to get a more concise video. But I'm, I'm glad it, that came across because I was worried. I didn't want people to fund something that might offend them, you know? No, I got you. No, your game is no murder, death, kill, man. It's not like RoboCop, man, when they went too far <laughs> in all the sequels. Yeah. I mean, yours is silly, man, but it's not silly to be disrespectful to you, but it's just silly because it, it just looks like such a fun game. And, and no, if that were going on in real life, oh my God, we have a problem with it. <laughs> yeah. But in the game package that it's in, in the type of artwork that you drew, I don't take it seriously. I just think that it's a good game and it's funny and it makes me... Well, I already said that. It's a good game and it makes me laugh. And that's all that really counts to me. For anybody out there, I think this game is like a twist, like he says, between the combat games of the past. I think like the Mad Max-ish type movies of the past, like in the 80s and stuff. And it's just way cool, man. And I think you should check it out for yourself. It's called Bullet Bros. He even used the word bros. 
and bullets. I mean, they don't even actually go together, but somehow he had he was ingenious enough to put them together. So that makes it super cool in itself. So go to kickstarter.com, check it out. And if you can't find it there, go to djgrandpa.com and we'll provide links to Jason and his company. And dude, I hope you're fun, man. And, and we'll be there for you, man. DJ Grandpa is looking out for you. Thanks a lot. This has been awesome. Hi, my name is Matt Bush, and I want to thank you so much for taking the time to check out my Kickstarter campaign for the Hollywood is Dead coffee table art book. In the last five years, I've created dozens and dozens of parody movie posters, all repainted meticulously by hand before giving them the zombie treatment. Well, this Matt beautiful Bush hardcover and art the undead, he's bringing up all sorts long. of, I don't know if you say holy or unholy spirits, and he's on Kickstarter. <laughs> So you That's right. Check, yeah, you should check them out. Welcome to the crib, dude. Thank you. Oh, it's so great to be in the crib. There's always room for another good person, man. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, rock and roll, man. It's uh, it's so cool being here, and uh, thank you so much for talking to me about it. And I see you have Hollywood is Dead coffee table art book. That's right. I'm going to tell you the truth, man. I tried to ignore your project, man. You sent me a note. I tried to ignore your project because I've been trying to kill off as many zombies as possible. They just keep <laughs> popping up. But <laughs> but I clicked on the link and I looked at it and you had the Marilyn or whatever she is on the cover. And I just uh-huh. couldn't resist, man. I so wanted not to talk to you, man. But I couldn't, Oh my gosh, so funny. I couldn't help it, man. The project is kind of divided into two aspects. Obviously, there's the, you know, the 12-year-old kid in me that likes to... Uh, you know, to draw zombified stuff and, you know, right. the, uh, you know, make everything bloody. But honestly, the project really is, it's my love for the movie poster. And ever since I was a kid, I've loved having, you know, that single image that sells a movie. And a lot of times when we think of the movies that we grew up with, a lot of times we don't think of the movie. We think of that single image that represents the movie. And it's usually the movie poster. Right. So for me, as an artist, it's been really cool to take a look at a lot of my favorite movie posters, my favorite artists, my heroes that created these, and to study the images with a fine-tooth comb, to repaint them painstakingly by hand has been so educational. It's been so awesome. And then, of course, slaughtering them to make them all bloody and uh, disgusting is, uh, is kind of the icing on the cake. Now, I know you do the movies, the movies, but I'm thinking the 80s. And yes. I'm thinking that's so classic. That's so iconic. And it, it is also on Kickstarter. What about Michael Jackson as killer? <laughs> that's <laughs> when he's a great on, idea. You know? you know, I'm really torn because on one hand, it would be great to kind of continue this series and do classic album covers. Right. You know, classic rock and all these images. And that's a great one. Oh, my gosh. Michael Jackson killer. Thriller was the first record that I ever bought with my own money, the first new record that wasn't at like a garage sale or something. That would be awesome to do that. So part of me is, you know, based on the success that this has had, on the other hand, as much as I love zombies, oh my gosh, if I never draw another zombie again, it'll be too soon. You know what I mean? So kind of the neat thing about this is I've really put my all into this for the last five years, and this is collecting all of them, all the movie posters, Maybe in a year or so, maybe I'll get some steam to uh, 
jump back into it and uh, do album covers. And that one definitely that would that might even be the very first one that I would do. But um, no, I got uh, you. you. We'll you, see. You might be burned out on zombies for a few years, but yeah, I think I, I may need to take a break. What about Prince's uh, Bloody Rain? You know that classic one with him on the motorcycle. I actually did that one based on the movie, not on the. But it's actually the same image, uh, the movie poster. But what I had instead of Bloody Rain, because I thought of that, or Red Rain, Red but Rain, it's yeah. actually going to be Purple Pain. <laughs> That's even cooler. <laughs> yeah. That's even cooler. That was actually one of my favorite ones to do because. That's one of the first ones that was based on a photograph instead of artwork. Right. But that photo of Prince on the motorcycle, right? there's smoke kind of in the background, and there's these different colored lights that are lighting up the smoke. Right. It is so beautiful. And to have that captured in a photograph, it was really, really super cool to do. And some of the posters, when it's a photograph, it's it's not as fun as you know some of the classic artwork. But that was one that I really, really enjoyed doing for sure. I do remember in the video that you said that almost every place you turn industry-wide, someone tried to destroy your book, you know, the, the artistic vision of the book yeah. you had in mind. Yeah, I was running into a lot of problems. A lot of publishers wanted to do it, but they wanted to they either have less pages or they wanted to tone it down or they wanted to focus more on uh, not as much artwork, but more on stories that they could sell to Hollywood. And uh, it was moving so far away from the initial idea that I had for the book that I just really wanted to do it myself. What was your initial idea for the book? I know from doing shows, the biggest question that I get, people see the posters and people buy the art prints all the time. But the thing that people say over and over again, you know, man, I, I don't have enough wall space in my house or I would buy all the posters. When does the book come out? When is there going to be a book that has all of these in them? And so that's always been kind of the idea all along is to collect them all in, in an art book. Ah, so you didn't even think of this. They made you do it. Your audience well, asked I mean, for it. it was, they demanded it. Yeah, I guess, yeah, power to the people. Yeah, I mean, the idea was always there, but it, it reconfirmed that people wanted it. You know, that's what people wanted, so that's kind of what the idea's always been. Which was the hardest image for you to undead or zombify or something? I guess it wouldn't be undead, it'd be dead. So which... Which image was the hardest for you to kill? Probably the poster for Hook uh, with Robin Williams and Dustin Hoffman. The reason why the original poster that was illustrated by Drew Struzan, there's so much detail all around the whole poster. It was just a lot of work to kind of recreate that, but to take each element, to take each character and find a way to... Uh, you know, turn them into a zombie or, right. you know, make it gory or whatever. It was a lot of fun to do, but it just, it took a lot of time. I love that movie poster a lot. So it never really felt like work and it was very educational. I think doing all this has, uh, has made me a better artist studying, you know, the composition and the color theory of, of all my heroes. It's really been great. And everybody normally wants to know how many pages, how many packed pictures are in this book. Right now, there's uh, 192 pages. Okay. If I can hit some stretch goals, that may turn into 230. Right now, there's over 400 different images that are slated to be in the book, and that's including some of the step-by-step -step images, some of the photos behind the scenes. Okay. So lots of good stuff jam-packed into this book. For anyone out there... Who loves zombies? Who loves the undead? Because I'm not sure if they're the same or not. 
<laughs> yeah, they're the same. Oh, okay. Well, then scratch that. But go to Kickstarter.com and check out Hollywood. No, it's not Hollywood. It's- yeah, it is. It's Hollywood oh, is dead. Hollywood. <laughs> I always feel like like that vampire. Hollywood is right? dead. Coffee table art book. And if you can't find it there, go to DJGrandpa.com where we have the freshest links. Matt, thank you very much for coming on the show. And, um, dude, this seems like a real, like, you even have gnaws. I kept saying jaws, but you even uh-huh. have gnaws. That, that one looks, like, way cool to me, man. So everybody <laughs> check it out. Matt, thanks again for coming on the show, dude. Thank you. The show was too booked to have them on, but I'd like to give a shout out to Bolt Riley, the reggae adventure game on Kickstarter. The game is co-designed by the creators of Quest for Glory. Check it out. I'd like to thank all our guests. I'd also like to thank our listeners. Each week, we couldn't do it without you guys. A special thanks goes out to Trevor Williams and to my mentor, The Mumba, for providing music to DJ Grandpa's crib. Thanks to Jeffrey Banks, Bertram Zeke, and Zach Samao, our assistant editors. Until next week, so say we all. The homepage for DJ Grandpa's crib is djgrandpa.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, DJ Grandpa's crib, all one word. Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, which helps other people discover the show. And don't forget to leave a comment while you're there. Our producer is Von Rupert. The executive producer of this and all Bedrock Communications podcasts is A.F. Rufus. <laughs>